Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Jeremiah, chapter 23, verses 16 through 22. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading comes from Philippians 2, chapters 19 through 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news news of you. For I have no one like him, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the twelfth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, let's talk about the Philippians 2 reading this morning. Uh, Let me read it to us one more time. I hope in the Lord Jesus, Paul says, to send Timothy to you soon. He's writing to the church of Philippi. So that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. In the middle of Philippians, there's this section, which we're going to look at this week and next week, that is um, sort of, it's it's less theological. It's not, you know, so Paul's been talking about some uh, pretty good theological stuff, the suffering of Jesus. Uh, the need for us as Christians to embrace that suffering in order to share in the work of the gospel. The need for Christian unity in order to live this out. 
And then he takes a break here in the middle of the letter to discuss uh, some travel plans a little bit, uh, how a couple of his friends are doing, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And maybe it seems a little bit random. In fact, there's uh, there are some commentators who say that this is a sign. I mean, usually Paul puts that sort of stuff at the end of the letter. And so there are some people who say Philippians 1 and 2 are one letter. And then Philippians 3 and 4 are a second letter that somebody has joined together with the, to, to create one letter to the Philippians. Uh, I, I, I don't think we necessarily have to say that. I think it's better to understand what's going on here. This, this stuff about Timothy here, Paul is going to flesh out what he's been saying before. So he says in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's one thing to tell us to, to embrace our status in Christ by believing in the gospel, by believing in the gospel in such a way that we are humble with each other, that we bend over backwards so that others get their way and that we don't. In order to communicate the gospel to each other and to the world who can see this community who loves each other so much that they aren't interested in their own things, but they're interested in the things of others. It's one thing to say that, go and do it. Paul's going to put some flesh to it by giving us a picture of two of his friends who have a relationship with a Paul, with Paul, the type of relationship with Paul where this sort of thing gets worked out. So let's look at this relationship that Paul has with Timothy this morning and talk about what we've been talking about in Philippians 2, the gospel, uh, the gospel and suffering, the gospel and community, and what it means for us. Another way to look at it is this. Is what kind of friend should you be inside the community of faith? What should our value be, values be as friends? We value, you and I value in our culture, or I guess just as humans, we value certain things in friendship. There are certain things that you look for when you're looking for a friend. Can I, uh, can I quote Confucius to you? It's kind of a weird thing to do from a Christian pulpit. Here's this great, this great quote from Confucius. He says this, to make friends with the, and he's going to give us three, three different types of people that we shouldn't make friends with or try to make friends with. To make friends with the ingratiating in action, people that do things to try and get you to like them. To make friends with the pleasant in appearance. To, to value attractive people in your friendship making. Or to make friends with the people who are plausible in speech, the people who talk nice, the people who maybe they make you laugh or they say witty things is, he says, to lose. But this, of course, is what we value as, as friends. When, when, I'm, when I'm thinking about who would I like to be friends with, it's always you know, the attractive people, the funny people, or the intelligent people, or the people who do things to make me feel better about myself. And yet, the values of the Bible are completely different. The values of the Bible, when it comes to friendship making and community making, are not about what you do for me. Like, do you make me laugh, or do you make me think? Or even, you know, do you encourage me when I'm down. It's, all these things are important. It's also, by the way, I'm not saying it's bad to have friends with attractive people. I'm friends with you guys, and you're very, extremely attractive, right? With witty people, with people who do nice things for you. I'm not saying that's bad, but we value that when that's our goal in making friends. Instead of, what are you doing for me? Instead of, how am I able to serve you? The, the value of friendship is the val- It's outward. It points out from yourself to other people. This is what Paul's going to say in this text, okay? There's three values that I want to point out from this text 
that Paul says, this is, if, if we are going to be the have your mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus kind of people, we're going to need these three things. The first is a commitment to the interest of each other. The second is a concern for the interest of Christ. And then the third is a commitment or a concern to the work of the gospel. So let's talk first about this concern for the interest of others in verse 20. Paul says, I've got nobody like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned uh, for your welfare. welfare. Timothy is genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church at Philippi. That word uh, genuine, I mean, so uh, we're all sort of concerned for each other. There's nobody in here. I don't think there's anybody in here that if somebody walked up to them and said, hey, would you pray for me? You would just, you know, you would yawn or you would look at your watch or you would kind of look past them or you would pull your phone out and mess around. We would all say, yeah, of course I'll pray for you. I mean, I, I say, you know, if you ask me to pray, I'll say, sure, yeah. But genuine concern is what is what's at the heart of gospel. The gospel life is to actually be thinking more of others than of yourself. And it, it is a concern. We should talk for a second about what that concern, word concern means. So maybe some of you are reading a, a, a version of the Bible that's not the NIV, and the word that you're looking at in your Bible right now is the word uh, anxiety. He has a genuine anxiety for you, because that's actually what the word is in Greek. It's the word, it's just the word for anxiety. In fact, in two chapters from now, in Philippians 4, verse 6, Paul's going to say, don't be anxious for anything. But by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And when he says, don't be anxious for anything, he actually uses the same word that he uses to commend Timothy here for being anxious about us, for being anxious about other people. Concern, that kind of softens it. It's not just concern like, hmm, yeah, I feel bad for them. Or that's interesting. That's interesting what they did. It's more like this genuine emotional experience of being involved empathetically in this other person's life in such a way that what they experience, you experience. That their joy becomes your joy. That their grief becomes your grief. That their anxiety becomes your anxiety. This is what we're called to. And what that means is completely outward focused. My life should be about you guys and not about me. And too often it's about me. It's about how I respond to how you treat me. But... This is not the gospel way. Look at the last line of verse 20, or actually uh, uh, the first line of verse 21. Because they all seek their own interest. This is as as an opposite to Timothy. Timothy is anxious, genuinely concerned and anxious about the, uh, the, the church at Philippi. Everybody else that I know, Paul says, and he probably exaggerates a bit there because he's going to go on and commend Epaphroditus here in a few minutes. Everybody else I know is only concerned about their own interest. They're only focused on what their goals are or on how you are helping me. A couple weeks ago, uh, I, I met with somebody and uh, this wanted to talk to me about some ideas about the church. And this, this person said, hey, uh, what do you think about this idea here? And I immediately said, no, no, I, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. And I gave my reasons for why I, I, I don't think that's a good idea. And then later on, Angela said to me, Angela was there, and she said, you know, you totally shut that guy down. That guy had an idea. That guy, that guy who has the Holy Spirit just like you do, who's just as smart, if not smarter than you are, had an idea. And like you didn't even let him get the sentence finished. You just shut it down. Why did I do that? Concerned about my own interest. 
It, it, you know what? You know what I say in my head when Angela says that. But I'm right. <laughs> you know, and, and the and the odds are that that I'm not. I, I, I I've been wrong plenty of times before. But but even if I whether I'm wrong or right, not being genuinely concerned about somebody else's interest and only concerned about my own plans and my own thoughts is not gospel living. It's not being humble. It's not having this mind in me, which has been given me by Christ Jesus. The gospel demands that we be concerned more about each other. We have a concern for the interest of others over our own interest. Secondly, the gospel demands that we have a concern for the interest of Christ. Look at the last line in verse 21. Well, actually, just look at verse 21. For they all seek their own interest, not the interest of Jesus Christ, not those interests of Jesus Christ. What are Jesus Christ's interests? Jesus Christ's interest, big picture, to become human, to die for our sins, and to rise from the dead so that we can have new life with him forever. That's what Jesus is interested in. He's interested in rescuing us and rescuing his creation. That's as broad as I can make it. I mean, we're not here this morning if that's not the case. If Jesus didn't die and rise from the dead, this is just a bunch of nonsense. Uh, But he did to create a new people for himself. Now, let's narrow it down to what Paul's trying to get at in the text. What are the interests of Christ here in the text? To point this out to you, you can just tell me. I'm going to read verses 20 and 21 together and think about what the interests of Christ are in this context. I have no one like Timothy, Paul says, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy is genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church at Philippi, unlike these other guys who are only concerned about themselves and not about the interest of Jesus Christ. Think. Five seconds. Think about what are the interests of Jesus Christ specifically in this text? The interest of Jesus Christ in this text is that we be interested in the welfare of others. Paul commends Timothy for being interested in others, not like the other people who aren't interested in the things of Jesus Christ. The things of Jesus Christ specifically in this text are us living our lives for each other. This is, this is so much a part of the gospel. Look, the gospel is Jesus died for you and rose from the dead for you to give you new life. It is not something totally different that we are to live our lives for each other, as though Jesus died to rescue us. Meanwhile, it's a lot nicer if we all just get along with each other and live our lives for each other. No, living our lives for each other is a part of the gospel. Jesus died on the cross so that we can be interested in each other. Jesus, go back to Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself a slave to give his life up for others. And because that mind is ours in Christ Jesus, we're able to live the life of a slave. We are free, like no one else is, to be completely disinterested in ourselves and only interested in others. It is to the credit and glory of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit when we are, and it's to our own shame when we're not. It's the old man rising up when I shut somebody down and say, no, 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 that, that idea, just forget it because we're not doing that because it's not my idea. That's the flesh. That's me being interested in myself, and that's not the gospel. So the second thing is, we should have a genuine concern for the interest of Christ, which, as it turns out, is actually a genuine concern for the interest of others. In one sense, points number one and two are identical. Third, we should have a concern for the work of the gospel. Look at verse 22, which is about the work of the gospel. But you know Timothy's proven worth 
how as a son with the Father, He has served with me in the Gospel. As a son with the Father, with the Father, He has served with me in the Gospel. The commitment, commitment to the work of the Gospel looks like, I, I know there's a lot of threes here in, in this sermon. Looks like three different things here. There's three different little clauses here in verse 22. First of all, faithfulness. Timothy, Timothy's worth is proven. That's the first line of verse 22. You know Timothy's proven worth. Timothy's valuable to Paul. Why is Timothy valuable to Paul? Because Timothy is genuinely anxious for the concerns of others and the concerns of Christ, not for the concerns of himself. But it's not just that he's doing that, it's that he's doing it faithfully. It's a proven worth. Timothy has consistently done this. It's the power of the Gospel that liberates us to be faithful in the ministry that God has called us to. To faithfully be concerned in, 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 in the interest of others and in the interest of Christ. But second, it's also collegial. Look at the, look at the, you know what I mean by collegial, right? It's a work together. It's not an individual work that we all do on our own. It's a work that we do together. Look at the last line of verse 22. Timothy, as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So Paul, Paul's an apostle. One of Paul's jobs is to write the Bible. Paul very easily could have said, Timothy is so great. He works so hard for me. But, but he doesn't. He says, Timothy works with me. The work of the gospel. Look, you, you, somebody comes to me and they says, say, I have this idea. And I say, no, we're not doing that. You know what I'm saying is, I'm saying, you work for me. Not you work with me. Does everybody catch this? The, the, the work of the ministry is collegial. The work of the ministry is not mine. I complain about it, right? I mean, I complain like, I have to do everything around here. I don't. I probably haven't actually said that phrase. But that's what pastors do, you know. I have to do everything around here. And, and the congregation just thinks it's the pastor's job to do everything. Then somebody comes and says, I have an idea. And I say, no, we're going to do it my way. Well, it doesn't work like that, right? I mean, I have to foster collegiality by being a servant, by being humble, by not considering the pastor a thing to be grasped, but by having the mind of Christ in me. And you do too. The work that you have to do at this congregation is just as valuable as mine. It's just as important. It is just as sacred the ministry that God has called you to in this congregation is just as sacred as what I'm doing right now. Just as sacred. It's definitely collegial. And that brings us, this is the third thing, and this is going to tie it together a little bit. It's like the ministry, it's, it's, let me say this, it's familial. The way that we should relate to each other should be as a family. Paul says, Timothy relates to him as a son with the father in the middle of verse 22. I, I, I really love this. What, what, what could Paul have said? Paul could have said a bunch of things. Paul could have said that like an apostle with my protege, Timothy does a great job. Or he could have said, Timothy does a great job as an employee to a boss. Timothy does a great job as a friend to a friend. Timothy does a great job as a member of the church. Timothy does a great job as a spouse to a spouse. Why doesn't he use any of these analogies? I think this is the case. And this is going to tie into the other two points in this verse. All those other relationships are relationships that we frequently bail on. Right? You, you, like if, if you have a crummy boss, 
Like you're looking for a new job. I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong, right? If you if you have crummy friends, I wish I had a dime for every time somebody on Facebook, I, I would read somebody would say something along the lines of like, I'm done. If you're not building me up, if you're dragging me down, I'm done with you. And then you know, this is how usually how they announce they got rid of a bunch of their friends on Facebook. This is what we do with friends, right? If you're not if you're not making me laugh, if you're kind of bringing me down, I'm going to hang out with somebody else. This is what we do with churches too. And I'm, Angela and I have left a church. Good reason, bad reason, probably mixed good and bad reasons for leaving the church. This is what we do with marriages. If it's not working for you, you leave. But hardly anybody, I wish that I could say nobody, but unfortunately I'm going to have to say hardly anybody bails on their kids. Like We'll bail on all these relationships. But when you've got a kid that demands you, 100% of you, and gives you nothing back but sleepless nights and poopy diapers and constant nonstop demands. You're still all in, aren't you? And that's the relationship that Paul's... I love this. That's the relationship that Paul's going to pick out here because the relationship the gospel calls us to, probably the parent-child relationship, may be the closest understanding when it comes to level of commitment. You don't get out. You don't walk out on your kids. You don't trade your kids in. And Paul says the work of the gospel, if it's, there's nobody like Timothy who does this work of the gospel. His worth is proven. He's like a son with a father. We do this together. It's not, we are sharing this task together and we are all in it for the long haul. May God give us the grace to have these kinds of relationships that value each other more than ourselves, that value the kingdom of Jesus Christ more than ourselves. The value of the work of the gospel more than our own plans and agendas. Amen.